Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 and now back to lifeline with craig roberts we're talking this evening with best-selling author and astrophysicist dr hugh ross his latest book is called hidden treasures in the book of job how the oldest book in the bible answers today's scientific questions Dr. Ross, typically we see, in addition to uh, some of the naysayers that will look at the gaps in time in the Genesis account and say, here, there you go, because it's not all explained, therefore it can't be true. There are also some of the naysayers that will look at so-called bad designs in nature, maybe better put uh, faulty or what we would consider to be useless, like, for example, what exactly does the appendix do? Uh, And we'll look at this and say that this is a reason to believe that... The, because it's not a perfect design, therefore it can't be God's design. What do you say to that? Well, you know, these uh, so-called crippled designs are a great way to test our different creation evolution beliefs. I mean, uh, you know, maybe we haven't looked hard enough for the purpose or the design of, say, the appendix. When I was a child, uh, medical scientists felt that the appendix was completely useless. And so if you ever had abdominal surgery, they would routinely remove the appendix because of their belief that it was a holdover from an evolutionary accident. Today, we know that the appendix plays no role in human digestion but it plays a critical role in the immune response system. So today, medical doctors do not remove the appendix unless it's inflamed. And likewise, useless organs uh, such as the adenoids and tonsils were once thought to play no, no purpose or role in the human body. And uh, now we recognize that they too play a role in the human immune response system. So sometimes the design is in a different area than what we would never normally anticipate. And so here's the way you can put it to the test. Okay, if God's responsible for this, then we would expect that everything within the human body or everything within the cell uh, would have some purpose or function. And maybe we don't know what it is right now, but let's uh, continue to search. And if we find increasing evidence for design and function as we learn more and more, uh, about uh, different organisms' morphology and uh, their biomolecular structure, then that would be evidence that God was responsible for that. But if we find as we learn more and more, and we're finding more and more junk and more and more crippled designs, then that would be evidence that, uh, that hey, it's some kind of natural evolutionary explanation. Now, there's one important caveat. We would expect that there would be a small amount of... Um, uh, quote, uh, useless function uh, in response to how long an organism has been on the face of the earth. Because after all, the Bible tells us in Romans 8 that the entire creation is subject to the law of decay. And so that law of decay will bring about some crippling of the divine designs. But in the case of the human species, we've been here for such an incredibly brief period of time that we would expect very little accumulation of, quote, junk as a result of the second law of thermodynamics. 
So perhaps less emphasis on uh, the evolution of man and have a little bit more patience and more focus on the evolution of our understanding. is <laughs> a better way to approach some of this. Well, we would expect that a lot of the desire would be hidden from view because we haven't looked. That's the principle you see in both Job and the creation texts and Psalms. Namely, that the more we examine the record of nature, the more we'll discover the handiwork of God. And so medical science is a great example of how that is exactly played out. Part of this uh, discovery process, you spend some time, uh, some fair amount of time inside the pages of hidden treasures in the book of Job. To the lessons of the animals, the so-called ten animals of Job, uh, in our time that remains, a doctor, spend a moment and kind of shed some light on that for us. Well, that's something that aroused my curiosity when I first began to examine the book of Job, is why do we see this list of ten specific bird and mammal species in Job 38 and 39? You know, it's kind of like a top ten list. And so as I began to study the animals that are mentioned in the text, I realized every one of them played a crucial role in launching human civilization. And that uh, those people groups that lacked access to those animals were never able to get themselves out of the Stone Age culture. Uh, But those cultural groups that had access to those animals were not only able to launch civilization, but to advance it significantly. And I think in the 21st century, we often think, hey, we did it all. But the truth is, we would have gotten nowhere if God hadn't given us these specific bird and mammal species, and if we uh, hadn't really taken the time to tame them and begin to, to use them. Uh, not only to launch our civilization, but also gain some measure of peace and enjoyment from our relationships with them. And I think what's really phenomenal, too, is you look at creatures uh, you know, like the ostrich uh, or the goat uh, or the donkey or the horse. Uh, what we're realizing is they not only fulfilled a critical role in launching human civilization, they're fulfilling a completely different role in assisting humanity towards the end of civilization when we have global high-tech technology. Uh, So goats, for example, are serving a very different purpose today than they did at the beginning of civilization. And the fact that these creatures have multiple uh, ways of serving and pleasing humanity uh, to deal with humanity in different cultural contexts, that is, to me, a clear piece of evidence for the fingerprint of God in designing these creatures for our specific benefit. Final word, you spent some time on a key point. We began our conversation with curiosity on the topic of why pick the book of Job, since it uh, in large part is regarded as many as almost singularly a book about suffering, to be sure that it is. But at the end, you also make an interesting conclusion inside the pages of Hidden Treasures in the book of Job, and that is how the book overall points to man's greatest need. Elaborate on that point. Well, uh, what God does is he talks about these animals that he gave to serve and please us and makes the point that we humans have been able to tame every one of them. And he mentions the Leviathan and the behemoth as the two most difficult to tame of all the bird and mammal species and higher reptiles that God gave us. But he says there's one species you're not able to tame. And that is a proud human heart. And God steps in and says, only I can bring humility to a proud human being. You can't do it. And makes the point that we all struggle with pride, and without God's help, we're not going to overcome that pride. And just like these animals need to come to us, we need to go to God. 
and get the humility we need in order to form a relationship with him and successful relationships with one another. So what I love about the book of Job, the last few chapters close with a clear gospel message of how we can develop a successful relationship with our Creator. And if you look at Job's comments, he actually lays out from the evidence of nature all the critical points uh, for salvation, concluding in verse nine, in chapter 19, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that I will see him on the last day uh, with my own eyes and my own flesh. Why? Because Job recognized his need for a Savior and a Redeemer, and it committed his life to that uh, divine Redeemer. Thinking is deeper toward the answers that we seek in the creation of man. A look at today's scientific questions answered inside the book of Job. The new book, Hidden Treasures in the Book of Job, newly published by Baker Books. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the entire Bay Area as well as through Amazon.com. Our guest, its author, astrophysicist Dr. Hugh Ross. Dr. Ross, is always a delight to have you on the program. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Ask many people over the age of 55 or more, and they'll tell you, as they grow older, they mostly fear one thing, more than ill health, money problems, more than a changing world. They fear being alone. Divorce and death can be unsettling, certainly life-altering. But the fear of being alone cripples so many at a time in life that can be and should be rich, rewarding, and giving. So what's the alternative to feeling lost and alone at that point in life? Joining me today in studio from Menlo Park Presbyterian Church and part of their Singles Together ministry is Dr. Margot Gregg. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice and a member of the California Association of Marriage and Family Therapists and also involved with our friends over at Christian Counseling Centers. And joining Dr. Gregg tonight in studio is Carol Johnson. Together, they co-lead New Life Singles Together at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church, and welcome to both of you. Thank you. Dr. Greg, let me start first with you. Boy, this is a time in life when you you finally get the point where you've done your time, you've raised your kids, you've done your working and earning, and now here's the time to sort of enjoy the golden years. And suddenly, a life-changing event happens. For some people, it's divorce. For others, it's death. Suddenly, you find yourself out of sorts, you're not comfortable in the, the dating world. Many people doesn't, don't even know what that looks like if they've enjoyed 10, 20, 30 years or more of marriage. And sadly and unfortunately, there's even an awkwardness for many of these people in the church because they're either surrounded by young families in which they, mm-hmm. they either feel jealous of or, or uncomfortable with or don't seem to quite fit in. They know certainly they're not going to join the dating scene again. So what is a person to do? Well, I think the key to life really is coping, um, learning to live in reality, creating the life that you want, um, finding activities that are uh, that are meaningful to you, um, finding a community in which you can belong, finding ways to um, to enhance your life and have things to look forward to. Connection. Maybe is the important uh-huh. word here. I would agree. Mm-hmm. Staying Absolutely. connected and, and getting connected. And, and, and Carol, that connection doesn't always come easily. I mean, a lot of people, when they go through a devastating loss in life, for example, mm-hmm. and it's loss, whether it's divorce or death, it's still a loss, um, tend to kind of hanker down and become kind of cocoon-like 
their heart's been wounded. There's this huge gap now, uh, particularly for married individuals who say, my goodness, after all these years, my husband, my wife of all these years is now gone. And, and I don't know how even how to change my language from we to me. That's right. And mm-hmm. so maybe sometimes kind of hunkering down and, and cocooning in, as I say, is a natural, almost protective Reaction And yet that sense of isolation that it can bring can be very devastating, can't it? Can be very devastating and produce some horrible depression. I'm just going back. I wasn't so old when I lost my husband, but I've been in the singles world basically for about 34 years because he died very young. I do remember what happened when I went to church, though. And I remember being with another widow who had lost her husband two weeks before in a different church. And she called me one one day, maybe my husband had been down, dead about six weeks, and she said, do you feel invisible in your church? I think this is true for older mm-hmm. people, too. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, nobody knows what to say to me anymore, so they just ignore me. And then I started noticing people didn't know what to do, so they just kind of treat you like a piece of furniture. And I'd forgotten about that till you just talked about that, about how hard that was. And then trying to find a place in the church as a single person, after you say, I had been in what we call, we used to call neighborhood groups in our church, and my husband and I were in charge of one of those. Suddenly, I was the only single person, and that didn't last too long. So... Um, I remember going to my uh, own pastor then and asking about, uh, uh, do we have a singles group or somebody like that? I ended up in another church that had a big singles group. And the irony is a lot of times when a singles group does exist, it's singles as in high school age, college age. That's correct. And, you know, hey, do you want to go, you know, play the water rides at Great America? Probably not at the age of 35 (laughs) or 40 or or older. You might, you might, but... But that was beside the point. They just didn't seem to have a and and I went and I went to one group that was a uh, out of my church, but in a lot of other churches in another town. I said, "Oh, they have one," and I remember going. I'm a widow. I'm grieving my husband, and I sat next to some woman who was divorced and complaining about her ex, and on and on. And I thought. I remember coming out of there and I said to my friend, that wasn't much fun to go and listen to other people's stuff when you're hurting. So it wasn't until many years later, 10 years before I found another singles group that was over the age of 40. Now that looks real young to me, but in those days... That was an older singles group. Dr. Greg, I'm curious. There's this sense of awkwardness. Uh, you know, I think uh, Carol touched on it, that not only once you have gone through that loss, again, divorce or, or death, whatever it might be, you're trying to fit in again. You're used to always going to events as couples, and all of a sudden now you get invited to the same groups, and you feel like a third wheel. Um, everybody's paired off but you, and you feel awkward. They feel awkward. So suddenly they stop inviting you. They don't want to embarrass you and so it's almost as if there's this awkwardness from both sides both the individual who's now dealing with this change of life this loss as well as the old network of friends I was super involved in a church uh, with my husband. We were both elders, uh, served uh, several terms. But once when he died, it was like I did not fit anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, I, I did, in fact, change churches um, and was invited to Menlo Park Press where, uh, by, because I knew the um, singles pastor. And so that's what took me there. But the loss that you feel 
when you had this life that was going in a certain direction and all of a sudden, boom, it's snatched mm-hmm. from you. And now you have to figure out uh, how, how, to use your, how to use your time, how to, who, who to associate with. And you don't, you don't have the activities to look forward to that you once had. You don't have the, the, um, the, the things that gave you meaning are, are different because uh, the network is not there in the way that it once was. Things that give you meaning. I, I want to mm-hmm. kind of zero in on that yeah. for a moment because, you know, we, we, we hear about things like the purpose-filled life. We all want right. a sense of Rick satisfaction Warren. out of our careers, out of our marriages, raising our children. Mm-hmm. We oftentimes get such a sense of identity yes. out of what we do. And I think certainly mm-hmm. today with so many women that are involved in the working world, it used to be just the men. They would retire and a couple of years after retired, either the wife kicked them out of the house and they got a divorce because she didn't <laughs> want to be around him anymore (laughs) or the man just seemed to flounder because all of his identity was wrapped up in what he did in the working world and so even as women deal with that now there's that sense of of i've lost my state of being almost yeah you know, uh, when I was a freshman in college, which was a few years ago, <laughs> I, re- I was exposed to a book by Viktor Frankl, Man's Search mm-hmm. for Meaning. Mm-hmm. And the book is about logotherapy, about um, being in a concentration camp and finding meaning every single day in that setting. Mm-hmm. And that's probably as big a stretch as one would ever have to make, is trying to find meeting in that kind of adversity. That certainly is on the extreme, but I think indicative of the notion that it really is incumbent upon the individual to be proactive about this, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, if you've lost someone through death, we know in the early days that there's going to be, you know, a gathering of friends and family, and they're taking you casseroles to eat and offering to take you shots. Do you need anything? Mm-hmm. And then three or four weeks after the memorial service is behind you, they've suddenly mm-hmm. forgotten your telephone number. And if you just sit and stare at the phone waiting for someone to call, it may be eons before that phone rings. You really need to be proactive then, in a sense, exactly. to get out and say, how do I find a redefined meaning and purpose in life? You know, Scott Peck talks about um, the fact that uh, in his book, The Road Less Traveled, the first sentence is, life is difficult. And his premise is, if you accept the fact that life is difficult, then you do something about it and you start trying to make your life happen because it's hard for everybody, even though it doesn't look that way. Mm-hmm. And I directed a program at hospice for almost 20 years. And what we used to talk about is... There are many reasons that people grieve differently, um, but the biggest determinant of all of how people function with a, through a disasters is their own personality. So you can have somebody can have a whole bunch of stuff happen to them, and they're resilient. And who knows how that happens? But um, it's true that you um, there's so many things to deal with as you're going through grieving. A lot of it certainly is perspective. Yes, I would think from a Christian standpoint, from a lot a of it too would right. be your relationship with the Lord. Yes, how plugged absolutely. in you are mm-hmm. in terms of prayer and Bible study and getting a sense of of being and satisfaction in your identity in the Lord. And, mm-hmm. you know, certainly all struggle. The reality is we lose a spouse through death or divorce. There is a change in identity. Mm-hmm. Um, if we reach retirement age and we find ourselves suddenly alone, there's the change in identity in that arena as well. Mm-hmm. But foundational to all of us from a Christian perspective ought to be our relationship with That's the right. Lord that can serve as sort of that springboard, if you will, um, into finding a, a, a new sense, a new 
renewed direction and a renewed sense of of purpose and meaning in life. Let's pause on that point. We'll come back to more of our conversation. Dr. Margot Gregg with us in studio today, along with Carol Johnson. They're with New Life Singles Together Ministry Group at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church. A brief time out back with more as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. Joining me today in studio, Dr. Margot Gregg. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist and is a member of the California Association of Marriage and Family Therapists and affiliated with the Christian Counseling Centers. She, along with Carol Johnson, co-lead New Life Singles Together Ministry Group at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church. And we've been talking about some of the dramatic changes in life that can happen, well, as you mentioned, Carol, young in life. You were barely in your 40s when your husband past, the big change that happens there, and then particularly, too, for those that are in their senior years. Suddenly now, well, you're no longer working. You have had a loss through death or divorce. Maybe the family, the kids are far away. The grandkids are in another state or the other half of the country. And so now all of a sudden there's this sense of my usefulness is behind me. Mm-hmm. The phone is not ringing. My grandkids are no longer nearby. I'm no longer involved in the workforce. And so much of my identity was wrapped up in either my job or my spouse. And now I really don't know even who I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest uh, uh, problems that we have is, is maintaining um, a sense of reality as we go along in life and maintain and living with the way things really are and making our life happen and having an attitude uh, which is positive not negative and um, it's that's very hard to do it's very hard to do uh, for me my husband uh, died uh, when we were snorkeling in Hawaii um, when we were there to celebrate by being over chemotherapy for a second time uh, which was heavy stuff to deal with and uh, and he dies in Maui, and it's like, Lord, what is this? Uh, the scripture that came to my mind was that God has promised us he will not tempt us more than we're able to handle, but will, with the temptation, provide a way of escape. And I said, this is it, Lord. I'm at the top. I'm at my limit. And I think then realizing that God walks with us through all of the hard parts of life. And that really is good theology. I grew up with bad theology. <laughs> I grew up believing that if I was good, God would, would treat me well and everything would go along okay. But realizing that that's not really the gospel. Yeah, you the find gospel. out the reigns on the just and the unjust. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if, in fact, we accept the fact that God's promise is to be with us not that things will go well for us and not that things will go the way we script them, the way we want them, but that God walks with us through the hard, hard parts of life. And, you know, when that rain falls, we can either choose to um, to drown mm-hmm. and not make any effort or we can learn how to dog paddle and how to survive. And, again, a lot of this goes back to a matter of attitude that's right. And how, how willing you are to, to reach out and and to kind of take charge, take control again of your own life. I'm struck that both of you, having gone through your experiences, both found that the churches at the time that you were attending were not adequately meeting no, their needs or not don't. prepared to meet the needs mm-hmm. of a older adult single that did not fit into the the young singles college and high school age group um, Mm -hmm. who had lost in both cases a husband 
and suddenly found themselves in kind of that third uh, third person arena that that nobody seemed to know what to do kind with no you, let alone land. the church. Mm-hmm. No man's land, exactly. Mm-hmm. You don't exactly fit with the right. couples anymore, but you don't fit with the young singles. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yet, you've still got your whole life in front of you. And, and you've got energy and life skills and so much to contribute. Mm-hmm. And yet, suddenly, you're in this no man's land. You know, one of the things when I was listening to Margo that has always helped me is that I do believe that everything that comes to us goes through the Father's hand, as it says in Scripture. Therefore, when these things happen, I might not like them, but I think, you know, God has allowed it, and we know that we have, in Psalms it talks about the fact that all the days of our lives are all written before we're ever here. So that has helped me. I lost a son last year. The same way his father went to a quick heart attack. And probably this last year has been the loneliest of my life. That sounds weird, but I am now alone, you see, in the house. I don't have children to take care of like I did with the first when my husband was died. And um, it's been that existential loneliness that people have that you just... It might be for a job. It could be for any kind of a loss. I I have a business called Grief Loss and Transitions. I'm really a grief therapist. And um, people go through these kinds of feelings, and I don't know how they do it without the Lord, truly. Part of that sense of of, of purpose, too, you're you're touching on, I think, Carol, is, is the need to be needed. Yes. We right. have we have a reason mm-hmm. to get up in the morning if we say, mm-hmm. but I have to do this because mm-hmm. my family depends upon my income, cooking meals, caring for the house, whatever the case might be. Yes. Um, and, and suddenly when you're no longer needed, you don't have to be at the office. Nobody needs you at the mm-hmm. office because you're retired. Your husband is gone. Your children mm-hmm. are gone. You no longer have that sense of being needed. Do we have to kind of restart that then? Um, so. Particularly for older adults, and say, I need to get into a place where there is a reason for me to get up that in the is morning. Correct. And if it's going and volunteering at a homeless shelter mm-hmm. or being a mentor to young children that need somebody to teach them how to live life, how to read a book, whatever the case might be, does that help to reset that sense of purposeness yeah. in life? Oh, I think that's absolutely true. I, I, I think uh, one of the memories I have is after my husband died. And that was before I was 60, uh, so I was still, you know, uh, I still am working. But um, I was driving home, and I was kind of hurrying to get home, and all of a sudden it struck me. There's nobody at home. Mm -hmm. There's nothing to go home to. Mm-hmm. And it was so deep in me. Mm-hmm. The things I missed when Wally died were uh, many. But one I, was him making coffee in the morning and bringing it to me. So you have to get a whole new routine That's right. that works mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. That it, So I said, okay, if I'm going to drink coffee, guess who's going to make it? Me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so mm-hmm. that's basically what you have to do is just, uh, I, I never barbecued. Now I barbecue. You know, you do the things you have to do to create a normal kind of a life for yourself. Is it important at this juncture, too, to be well-grounded or connected? And and I ask that question because I think of the vulnerability Mm -hmm. of some seniors. For example, we read these 
scandalous things on the internet about some senior who's been a pen pal with somebody in the Ukraine or wherever they might be and mm-hmm. has siphoned a hundred thousand dollars out of their savings because they thought they were carrying on a romantic interest with this individual that in fact was just simply preying on their vulnerability and I think why wasn't there anybody there in their life to intervene and say, wait a minute, what do you mean you're taking $50,000 out of your IRA to send it to somebody and you're going to wire it to what? Somebody you've never even met before? Right. So I, I wonder if this just sense of being connected and grounded yeah. with others, with a community, becomes particularly important because of the vulnerabilities. Well, that's exactly right. That's why community is so very, very important, mm-hmm. to have people that you can trust, people that you can do things with, people that that will love you. Now, naturally what we have developed at at MPPC is a community, a family, an extended family really is what it amounts to. You mentioned earlier M. Scott Peck. I, I'm reminded of some of his writings in that book, The, the Road Less Travel, that this sense of community is not something that necessarily happens by accident. It needs to, it needs to no, be built, doesn't it? Right. We need to be purposeful. Intentional, very and intentional. intentional. Mm-hmm. And, and when we're younger, we meet, we fall in love, we have a family. That kind of creates automatic community. Mm-hmm. Now we're at a point in life where we might get married again, but likely not. We're certainly not going to have any more children. And so mm-hmm. where do we go to create that intentional community? And certainly... Church is an important place to do it, and and I would imagine if you're in a church that doesn't have a ministry that specifically addresses some of the unique needs and challenges of older singles, then two pieces of advice. Start one or go out and find a church that does have one. Yeah, and that's been, I mean, we drive, I drive 45 minutes a Sunday. People say, why do you do that? Because it was the only game in the whole area Mm. that I could find where I knew I already had had that community earlier and it collapsed in another church and nobody has it. Is the church missing out on something here? I mean, I think about the baby boomer generation. Oh, we've been fighting about this for a long time. Wow. I mean, that that brain of America is single in the Bay Area. And you think about the baby boomer generation, those of us born between Mm -hmm. um, 1945 or 46 and 1964, 80 million of us Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're eventually all going to be, you know, right. facing these same challenges. And I'm just wondering if the church should wake up and say, wow, talk about a dynamic, incredible, unbelievable mission field here. You pre- you're preaching to the choir here, yep, Craig, because we have been fighting this battle, trying to, to help see the importance of providing a meaningful uh, um, a setting for um, singles and it's a hard thing to keep going because people don't see the value. And they, yet we have Vacation Bible School and Young exactly. Life. And we have right. all of these. And I'm not knocking any of those programs. No, of I, you course know, not. I think Awanas and all of those are, are wonderful, important, viable ministries for young people and young families. And yet to recognize the need to, to not only minister to the needs of the older single community, mm-hmm. but also recognize... We as the church, we're sitting on a gold mine exactly. of that's, knowledge been, and right. experience. I mean, we look at so many stories about these wayward kids that are born to single-parent families, and the father has never been around at all. Mm-hmm. The young man or young girl has nobody to mentor them about the things of life. What an opportunity it could be to be able to plug together mm-hmm. the older, experienced adult 
with the younger person who needs life experience and knowledge and understanding. And here you have a person that's just a gold mine of all of that. Wow. And give the older person such meaning. Absolutely. We're going to pause on that point, come back to more of our conversation as we're visiting today in studio with Dr. Margot Gregg. And also with us is a marriage family counselor, Carol Johnson, together New Life Singles, together group leaders at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church. A brief timeout. Back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation as we're talking about not just growing older gracefully, but what does it mean to be over 40 and single? And how do you go about getting that sense of meaning and purpose again in life and not only in terms of 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 having that sense of of usefulness that continues as opposed to feeling like it's been outlived um recognizing too that while your identity might have been wrapped up in your working world or in your spouse now that all of that has changed um you can find your identity most importantly in christ jesus and i guess at the core that really is the message here isn't Mm -hmm. it Mm-hmm. It is. I want to say, though, that having a group like we have at MPPC is is so amazing for people because you are right. People do not remarry. Seventy percent of men are still married when they die. Only about 38 percent of women are. And when the older we get, the less chance that happens. So for me... This group has been so amazing because the men in the group become brothers. It's not like a we are older singles. I don't think there there are a few people that come in there looking for somebody. But for the most part, we are like brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's really wonderful. I cannot tell you, I broke my hip a few years ago in class, and the kinds of things that both the women and the men in that group did for me were amazing. And last year when my son died, they did all the food at the funeral and all of that stuff and it was so amazing to have this army of wonderful Christian brothers and sisters supporting me and people need that they come in so lonely and broken and shy and Margo is wonderful about being very inclusive and I try to do that too so that when people come in they feel like they're enveloped in, in Christ's love but also in people who understand their situation. You used the word earlier, Dr. Greg, um, intentional. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, my, my memories go back to my, my grandmother, um, who passed at the age of 93 after a, just a brief three-day hospital stay. Um, she went to senior citizens twice a week, mm-hmm. walked to church every Sunday, read the newspaper cover to cover every single day, was up at 6 o'clock in the morning, and went to bed after the 11 o'clock news was over with every night, uh, still entertained in her home and would have the gang, as she would call them, over to play Pinochle or, or Canasta at the house <laughs> once a month. Um, she stayed plugged in and active. Kids all grown, uh-huh. had retired from a 35-year career at Seas Candies. She used to say it was the sweetest job in the world. <laughs> and yet, I was struck by the fact that she remained Active. She uh-huh. was involved in the Sons of Italy and with various uh-huh. other charitable organizations and, and served as a judge at the local polling place um, for many, many years so that every election she was there. And uh, we used to joke, I'd show up and she'd say, my grandson's coming now to cancel my vote. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that sense of remaining plugged in 
even though she had been divorced from my grandfather for many, many years. She lived a full, active, vibrant life. And I'll never forget the day she was admitted to the hospital, her arguing with the, the, um, the entrance nurse. And saying, well, you know, you have to stay for some tests. And she kind of begrudgingly agreed to do so and then turned to the nurse and said, but make clear of this. I will stay only tonight because I'm not missing two days of senior citizens in a row. That sense of the the value of importance of being plugged in with community, intentional living is what struck me Mm -hmm. about what made her life so full, literally up to the very end. Yeah, and my mother died at 94 and had that same thing. We all would go home and we would all be together and there was always a family that kept her going. And so there was all these things that she had to give to us. So that's what kept her alive. And she, too, was involved in church and and uh, sewing for people uh, to be sent to, to missionaries, doing all kinds of things mm-hmm. that gave her meaning. Mm-hmm. In the few moments that remain in our conversation today, I, I want each of you to take a couple of minutes, if you would, from your own life experience. And for the benefit of those eavesdropping on our conversation right now that are today where you were, maybe it's a sudden loss because of death, maybe divorce, And now they find themselves older, Mm -hmm. single, alone, not feeling like they fit in anywhere. Mm -hmm. Share some of your your insights and advice. And let me start first with Dr. Margot Gregg. Well, I've been thinking about a scripture, which is 2 Corinthians 16 through 18, which is, um, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. I like Mm -hmm. that. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that will outweigh all of the struggles. So fix your eyes not upon what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And the Phillips translation, uh, which I, I was on the Young Life staff at one point in my life, um, and the Phillips translation says we are knocked down, but we're not knocked out. Mm. And I love that because I think that things knock us down, mm-hmm. but we can't let ourselves be knocked out. We have to somehow um, keep a balance in our lives that are that give us meaning, that give us purpose, that give us uh, significance, and help us stay fixed on. Uh, Jesus and on the, the the healthiness that He offers to us through our choosing to be more Christ-like until we take our last breath. Until that's what the whole finish well concept is about. That as long as we're on the earth, we need to be be reframing what's happening to us. We need to be processing what's happening. We need to be communicating with each other in healthy, godly ways. That image of Paul speaking of fighting the good fight, running the good race. race. You know, uh, nobody feels sympathetic for the guy who just decides, you know, a mile away from the finish line just to plop down and say, you know, ah, this is too much effort. <laughs> you know, exactly. I, I, I'll meet you back at the clubhouse. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not. No. In fact, the one that gets the accolades is the one who finishes the race. This is about finishing well, finishing not only with a sense of, of purpose, 
but that purpose leading to fulfillment. And at the end of the day, that's what this is really about, isn't it? Mm Because, you know, we're going to think about our accomplishments and, you know, he was great at his job and all the accolades that we've heard at every funeral we've ever been to. And yet at the end of the day, the big question is, how much of a difference did my life on earth make toward others and ultimately toward the kingdom? And I think this is funny because I think I've got the same verse that I wanted to finish with, but a different version, the message. Mm -hmm. So let me read that, if I may, from 2 Corinthians 4. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart on us. On the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow. But the things we can't see will last forever. You mentioned an important word in that passage that I think should be highlighted, bold, underscored, put in red for all of us. And that is for those listening to say, yeah, but Dr. Gregg, you're a licensed counselor. You (laughs) you have all the skills available to you. Carol, same thing. You know about all this. Me, little old me, how can I be expected to get through all of this? And there's one word that comes to mind. Grace. Mm-hmm. That right. he gives us the grace mm-hmm. to make it through. That you can lean on him and he will make it through if you purpose in your heart to put your trust in him. Mm-hmm. And as we began the dialogue today, maybe your church doesn't offer an older singles group. Start one. Mm-hmm. And if you get all kinds of resistance and pushback, Pray and see that the Lord may maybe lead you to, to change your circumstances, but to live life with a sense of purpose and intention mm-hmm. and um, to change your perspective. When you've experienced a loss of perspective, change your perspective, get God's eye on the matter, mm-hmm. and learn that it's not only possible to age well, but it's also possible to finish well. I'll mention, by the way, if you'd like to get more information about the Singles Together group that meets at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church, uh, you can check them out on the web at singlestogether.org. It's easy to remember, singlestogether.org, part of the ministry there at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church. And I'd like to thank Dr. Margot Gregg for being with us and also um, Counselor Carol Johnson from uh, New Life Singles Together. Thank you both for the time and the, the education. That's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.